What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on? Don't What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And since it's been a couple weeks since we recorded one of these, we've got a lot of early season NBA storylines to talk about. So today we're going to be running through some of the most impressive and some of the most disappointing teams to start this season. And we'll start on the negative end because it feels like there's actually been a couple more standouts there. Teams we expected to excel that have gotten off to some rougher starts And the Golden State Warriors have picked it up a bit as of late, I believe winning three of their last four, but still sitting at six and eight, obviously the defending champs opened as both of our picks to win the Western Conference. So Logan, what have been your thoughts on what we've seen from the dub so far? What's held them back and how do you see things going from here? Oh yeah, I mean, disappointment is certainly the way to describe it. I mean, this has been the worst start on the road, I think, to any defending champion champion season uh, in NBA history. were they 0-7 on the road thus far? I mean, that's, yep. it, it's utterly abysmal. Um, and I think a lot of this, I, there's a lot of complicating factors for the Golden State Warriors. I want to say one that, I think a lot of people have said this, I think one, you know, the season just kind of got on the wrong foot. Um, you know, because of all the Draymond drama, I think we had a bad start to this season. But also, I think we're really seeing the importance of, what these veteran glue guys did for this bench, man. I mean, Otto Porter Jr. and Gary Payton II were just so much more important to this equation than I think we initially realized, especially defensively. Like, these young guys are really, really far behind, Carson. I want to speak specifically, because we're very early in the season. The first start to this Warrior season, um, like the first six or seven games, Steph is playing his ass off, and he still is. Steph is an MVP level right now. Like, he is playing... Maybe the best basketball we've ever seen. When Steph is on the floor, 
the Warriors play like the best offense in basketball with a 120.3 offensive rating. When he is off the floor, they play equivalent to a 1970s offense. That's, first of all, not, genuinely, since tracking data began starting, uh, began uh, starting tracking, excuse me, 99.8 is the mark, Carson. Uh, 1973 to 74 is when we have to go back to get offensive ratings like that. It's crazy. Um, so, I mean, they are utterly abysmal when Steph is not on the floor. And so they, uh, they had trouble closing out games because Jordan Poole and Klay Thompson weren't, covering, uh, weren't pulling their weight, right? Klay has had a really bad start to this season. He's shooting 35% from the field, 33% from behind the arc on, your, on basically 10 attempts from behind the arc a game. Um, and so finishing games, when you have a team built like the Warriors, when you don't have a lot of guys who can get downhill and score in the paint, this is like the 25th paint scoring offense in basketball. When Steph gets you this lead into the third quarter and you have to go finish above the hump, you don't have a lot of guys who can get downhill and get consistent offense to help close games out. So that was a big issue for Golden State early on. They didn't have closers. Jordan Poole were not, was not pulling his weight. Klay Thompson was not pulling his weight. They couldn't close out games because you don't have consistent offense to go to late in games. They're the 24th paint scoring team in basketball. That was a huge component. It's gotten better. And I expect Clay and Jordan Poole to, you know, get to a, to come back to a, a means, right, Carson? To come back to a happy medium. Um, everything balances out. It's a very long season. You would expect that to happen. So those have been issues, finishing games, getting consistent offense from guys outside of Steph, because Steph has definitely been pulling his weight. And then you've just got free throws, you've got fouling, and then you've got the three young guys that are just, Kuminga and Wiseman are actually unplayable like you cannot play one of these guys every game Carson the numbers to me are staggering um Wiseman you have a defensive rating of 126.3 when he's on the floor um the Warriors rank dead last in offensive rating and defensive rating anytime Kuminga and Wiseman are on the court it's crazy and this is only I mean Kuminga's in Wiseman are getting basically 14 minutes a night it's not even that much like these guys aren't even rotation level right now Moses Moody is at least competent you can play him um, you can get above water, but this bench is horrible. They really struggle in non-Curry minutes. You need another point guard, a facilitator to, I don't know, man, to get the offense just into motion, into flow, because these young guys are confused. And then another big thing with Wiseman, man, is he's got seven fouls per 36 minutes, dude. Like, Wiseman is, he's like a gazelle, man. He's like a, <laughs> he's like a baby deer. Like, I don't. One of these guys is not going to be in the rotation at the end of the season to me, Carson. To me, the Warriors desperately need another ball handler, another guard for this bench, or just another guy to set the table, man, to kind of take the weight off these young guys and to give them some direction. And then one of these guys has to go to the G League or get moved or something, man. I don't think Kuminga and Wiseman can both be in this rotation um, at the end of the season. Uh, you know, I don't know if it means a long G League stint to see if to test their metal, I don't know what it entails, but I don't think both of these guys can be in the rotation come playoff time. It's been a very disappointing start to the season, and even more disappointing, again, just with how hot Steph has been. You are wasting, you are wasting big, big Steph Curry games. It's something we saw last season. You can't do it again. Unequivocally, you hit on the biggest issue, which has been the performance of the bench overall, and the young guys have certainly been central to that issue, and Wiseman is now going down to the G League for what is apparently expected to be an extended stint, and I think should be. He has been really disappointing this year, and historically, I have been pretty low on Wiseman. I predicted him, I believe, to be out of the top five guys in that draft, the most likely to bust. 
Although I guess Okoro ended up going fifth, so I probably would have had him above. But when we were talking about our pre-draft process, the guys considered in that top tier, I was never a big fan of Wiseman. I talked about, you know, I think Onyeka is in a very similar tier as a prospect. And I was a little bit excited by some of what we saw in the preseason this year. I thought, okay, he is adding some athleticism, some size at the position, and it can't help to have another rotation level big, but he hasn't been that. When he's on the floor, the Warriors allow 126 points per possession. When he is the primary defender, he allows opposing players to shoot 8% above their average field goal percentage. Like, playing this guy is devastating on the defensive end of the floor, and then offensively, you're getting an athletic role man. But I think actually my friend Carvel, who we've had on the podcast, who wrote for our website back when that was more active, made a good point that I sort of forgot about for a moment, which was everybody was talking about the dimension of athleticism and of rim running that Wiseman could add to the offense, which, by the way, you can get in a million different places in the NBA. But the Warriors have consistently been an all-time offense, and they have never once had that. So I don't think that's something that you could ever look at and say, well, that's necessary. Like, yeah, sure, more quality big minutes other than Kevon Looney, who, I mean, does his job well, but again, there's nobody beside that would be nice. But clearly Wiseman is not capable of that, and he doesn't provide anything that is exceptional. And really, he sticks around because he was the number two pick in the draft, and now he's going to the G League in year three, which is pretty unprecedented, especially for a contending team that I'm sure would very much like to have his minutes at a position of need. But he is simply not up to that level. And I think the big rotation general is kind of is kind of concerning, one, again, with Wiseman's struggles, but the fact that you're having to run Draymond more at small ball five, and when you're matched up against rim-running bigs and you get set in those pick-and-roll actions, it's hard to defend against them when you don't have an actual five out there and Draymond is forced to guard that, right? Against the Heat, dude, Bam Adebayo is eating. I, so many lobs are coming in, and it's just because you can't throw Wiseman out there because he's an idiot. I just wanted to ask mm-hmm. really quick. Uh, JaVale McGee is in Dallas. Seems like he is. It's really tumultuous. Seems like he's not going to be there much longer. I mean, why not just bring in like a guy like JaVale McGee and just let Wiseman stew in the G League the rest of the year? I think that's reasonable. I think clearly the Dubs also need to add more quality wings. I mean, shout out to Anthony Lamb, who has been playing a lot over this last handful of games. And by the way, they're actually a plus team with him on the floor and he can actually shoot the ball well and play competent on both ends and make good decisions and that right now makes him better than all the young guys certainly than Kaminga out there on the wings but he's not a guy you want playing contending minutes I mean I really think that I overestimated the leap that we could see from Moody and Kaminga and thinking that Wiseman could be a rotational level guy Because the losses of Otto Porter Jr. and Gary Payton II, I mean, those were quality, dependable, savvy, versatile, two-way veteran wings. The kind of guys who you want playing 15 minutes a game in the finals. And right now, I mean, the Warriors do have guys who I like, who I could see filling roles like that, right? I mean, Ty Jerome, you get shooting, you get playmaking, you get touch and the ability to get into the painted area and facilitate a little bit. You get two-way toughness with him. Dante DiVincenzo, you get playmaking, you get athleticism, you get two-way stuff, all these things. It just hasn't fully materialized yet. I don't know when DiVincenzo is going to look like the guy that he did back in Milwaukee pre-injury, but he hasn't yet. And I do think that Ty Jerome has had some solid minutes, but he hasn't consistently figured into the rotation as a main guy. And I still don't know if he's quite good enough for those big-time playoff minutes, although I do like him. So... I look around and I just think James Wiseman is giving you nothing. He is a G League player right now. 
<laughs> I am still intrigued by Kaminga. I mean, his athleticism is special, but he is still far away. I mean, he's shooting 26% from three, right? He's a significant minus defensively right now. Like, he's just 20 years old. I mean, a recent 20 years old, and he's not ready to play at this stage yet. So I think you got to look at those two, and unfortunately, the reality is the Warriors have completely outweighed the ideal Wiseman trading window. The reality is the less James Wiseman that people have seen, the more intriguing he has been. Maybe you can still sell people on, hey, here's this 7-1 guy with a 7-6 wingspan who's athletic, and you know every once in a while we've seen that he can handle the ball a little bit and you know showed those flashes of jump shooting. But right now, I just think for any team that is remotely interested in winning now, James Wiseman is a glaring negative, and I don't know that he's all that intriguing of an asset. I don't know that teams are giving you a first for James Wiseman right now, even like a late first. And guess what? Those aren't the teams you're going to trade him to. You're going to have to trade him to a bad team, and you're certainly not getting a high first for him. So, yeah, I think you're looking to pick up quality rotation-level wings and rotation-level bigs, and I think you have to be willing to accept you're not going to get great value for Wiseman right now. And maybe for Kaminga, you're not going to get the best possible value. But I think you have to move at least one of these guys. And it doesn't have to be another Andrew Wiggins level pickup, right? It should be an Otto Porter Jr. level pickup. It should be a guy who you like, who you want to play bench minutes in the playoffs. Because it's so rare that you see a team that should be really good this impaired by their bench. I mean, my God, Steph looks like a top three player on the planet unequivocally. This playoff run has carried over. Clearly, the slump last year was a fluke. The guy is a monster. He's as good as he was two years ago, which was probably his best season ever. He could be even better this year. Wiggins is balling out. The Clay stuff is concerning, but at the end of the day, most of his job at this point is just to make shots, and I do think that things will level out there. Draymond's doing his job. Pool, you trust to get buckets. Looney, God bless him, is always going to do his job. So you have your top six because it's the same top six as last year. It's the same top six that won you a title. You cannot allow the seven through nine spots to be what kills you, to be what keeps you not only from winning a title, but right now from being a legitimately good basketball team. And that's the position the Warriors are in. And you have to take action because there's no way. I'm sorry that I'm trusting Wiseman and Kaminga playing big minutes by the end of this season. That is just too much of a leap. Yeah, I mean, you need guys who are solid and dependable enough to run 20 a night when it comes playoff time, and they are certainly far away from that. I want to ask you, Carson, I, as a Dubs fan, I mean, as an expert, as having watched this team for you know over a decade now, what's your level of concern at on a scale of like 1 to 10? 6, because I am 0% concerned about the core of this team which is the Steph Curry-led offense with the supporting shot-making you get from Wiggins and Poole, and even Clay. I'm really not that concerned about because, again, you know he wasn't great last year, but if Clay Thompson doesn't shoot 37% from three by the end of these things, I'll be pretty shocked. And I trust the two-way ability of that starting lineup. What concerns me is 100% this bench. And right now, this team... I can't see really a world in which they win a title with this mm -hmm. bench. So they have to do something. So I'm concerned. At the same time, they have the assets to get quality bench players. Like, again, Wiseman, Kaminga are not at maximum intrigue, but could they get you a decent wing? Yes, I think that they could. 100%. I, 
last thing on Wiseman, last thing on the dubs. Is there a lack of urgency that you sense with Wiseman or a lack of... I don't know, man. Like, I know that Wiseman struggled with his injuries that first year, but when you say that you were intrigued by, I mean, Summer League, by preseason, Mm -hmm. Wiseman did a lot of productive stuff that we thought would... I mean, just like positionally screening and getting into position. Like, he just... I don't know, man. There's a lack of awareness or heart or caring or because I don't think it's ability. I never think it's ability with Wiseman. I just think that it's I don't know if it's going to take time and I just really want him to step into his own now and maybe I'm expecting a little too much from a guy who didn't play any college basketball who immediately went straight to the NBA and had to sit out a year. I don't know, man. I'm just I'm really disappointed with James Wiseman. I thought he would be so much further like the fact that you took a guy second overall and he can't crack the fucking rotation in year three is embarrassing. It is embarrassing, man. A guy this freakishly athletic, this guy with all these physical gifts. I mean, it's just sad that he's he can't even play. It's embarrassing, man. And I think he is a negative asset at this point. I don't know what the fuck I'd give up for Wiseman. I think it is a motor issue. I think it's an awareness issue. I think it's an IQ issue. I think it's a feel issue. I think there are are a lot of things wrong with James Wiseman when you look outside the pure physical skill set and the flashes of the skill that intrigued people more than it should have about him as a prospect. Because again, he was never going to be good enough at those things for it to really matter. That's what I always said. James Wiseman's not going to be a good pull-up jump shooter. You know, like, yeah, it's cool (laughs) that he can handle the ball a little bit. How much of that have we seen in the NBA, though? It's not his job. He doesn't do it. He did that in high school because he's a thousand times better than everybody else on the floor and he can fool around <laughs> a little bit. We're not talking about Carl Anthony Towns. We're not talking about a genuine freak here. So I remain disappointed in him. And uh, yeah, I think that things have come to a head and the G League move is obviously not what you want to see because maybe it's good for Wiseman's development theoretically. But I don't know, man. He's not going to come back this year and really matter because he played in the G League because he's in a completely different role with a completely different level of competition. You need the guy to play championship minutes. That's not happening this year no matter what. It would be a miracle. And that means that this year is a failure for James Wiseman. And frankly, the pick is pretty much a failure because you're trying to maximize this championship window above all else. You can look to the future a little bit, but don't get too cute with it because you happen to luck into a pick getting traded your way and then also having a really bad season because that's not the most important thing. What matters is you have Steph Curry, a top 10 basketball player in history, and you still have Draymond Green, and you have now developed Jordan Poole, and you have Andrew Wiggins. Like These are the things that are going to drive you to contention. Nothing else is nearly as sure as what you have in your hands right now with those guys. And I think that the Warriors, to an extent, have lost sight of that. And hey, if they don't win another title, you can't shit on them. I mean, they won the title last year, and I didn't think that they were going to do that, and I think most people did not expect that going into that season. But nevertheless, there is still a title window to be maximized, and I think that they need to do whatever necessary to make that happen. All right, let's flip things here. Now we'll go positive. The biggest surprise of the year, even though they've slipped a little bit now, has got to be the Utah Jazz sitting at 10-5. and what have you made of their start to the year, and where do you think it's going from here for them? Well, I mean, uh, one, I'd just like to say that, you know, 
I always thought this team was super talented, right? We talked preseason, looking up and down the roster. We were like, man, this team's fucking loaded. They've got guys up and down the roster who can give you buckets, man. And um, it's just so much fun to watch how spread out this offense is, dude. The ball movement, the everybody can space the floor. Um, and I, I don't think, you know, I mean, everybody keeps talking about how they think that the Jazz are maybe going to, you know, fucking – bottom out at some point they're going to fall out they're not going to be competitive look this team does not have the requisite star power the requisite you know guys at the top to where they're going to win a title to where they are going to be a genuine playoff contender but this team is not going to take their foot off the gas I just think the jazz culture I mean you think back to Jerry Sloan man coaching this team for so long the jazz just have this culture where they are not going to want to they're never going to throw in the towel like this is a team that is passionate that is going to play hard every night and they're damn talented like this is a really talented roster to the point where i i think they can actually be competitive i think they'll be over 500 and i just don't see them throwing in the towel now i do think we see a regression to the means at some point for some of these guys like excuse me if i'm not ready to buy into the you know laurie markin and mm. hype train he has also regressed a little bit from his super hot start to the year but what he is doing is impressive like they trust him and I will say, late in the shot clock, it is impressive, man, because Markinen is doing late stuff. They'll turn to him. He'll go on the low block a little bit. He'll make some, you know, turnaround post fades. It's a little janky, but in a, in a pinch, Markinen's uh, been really good. And right now, this is a weird stat. This is on <laughs> This is on basically a possession of game, Carson. Uh, Larry Markinen is a 98th percentile isolation scorer right now. Um, again, about a possession of game, but that sticks. Um yeah, I mean, the Jazz spread the floor out. and I mean, every night they're going to be a tough out when you have this many scorers, this many shooters, and this offense is consistently this good at getting buckets. I mean, think about it, man. At any given time, you have Markinen, you have Olenek, you have guys who are going to make you pay, which in turn opens up the paint, makes it a little easier for Mike Conley, Clarkson, these ball handlers to operate in the lane, and for them to find guys out. And I've been really impressed with, again, man, this team's overall effort, uh, stuff that we've seen from Will Hardy, um, I think it's a great pull for them. This team moves the ball a lot. They shoot a lot of threes, and they make a lot of threes. They're fifth in assists per game. They're fourth in three-pointers made, three-pointers attempted, and they're ninth in three-point percentage. I've been astounded by Mike Conley so far this season. He has the highest assist percentage on drives of any player in the NBA, minimum 10 drives per game. He is so important to running this offense and getting everyone involved. He's tied sixth in assists per game. He's seventh in assist points created and ninth in potential assists per game. Like, I mean, it's the Mike Conley show, and you gave him a bunch of really good shooters or really good buckets, and, like, it's not, I don't know, Carson, it's not complicated basketball, man. They are getting into pick-and-roll sets, they are making you rotate, and they are getting open shots because they got a lot of scores and a lot of floor spacers, and a lot of these guys, because they were cast out to Utah, they've got chips on their shoulders, so they play hard. So, Utah to me, man, I think that you're going to be competitive all year. You've got a lot of talented players, man. I think you have to be really happy with Colin Sexton, what you've gotten out of him, out of Clarkson. Um, so, look, I don't think this team's a championship contender, but they're a fucking tough out every night. They play hard. They're a top-10 defense right now. They're a top-5 offense. Again, I think we see this team regress to about league average on both ends, but this is 100% hmm. a playoff team, and uh, I was wrong. I was I was really wrong, man. Um, I think this offense is legit, and I think – I think this is a team that's going to be really fun to watch in the first round. I'll say that. Um, I think they're going to be a tough out in the first round. I was also extremely wrong, but I still don't think that this is a playoff team. 
we can just look up and down the Western Conference, and I'll tell you, everybody, I would confidently take over the Utah Jazz. The Nuggets, the Trailblazers, the Grizzlies, the Suns, the Mavericks, the Clippers, the Pelicans, the Warriors, that's eight right there. And then I think you get into a tier where the Timberwolves are still so much more talented. We'll talk about them later and see to what extent they can Hear figure me out. out. Yeah. Hear me out. Look, man, I mean, I don't – maybe play in. Maybe I took that a little far. Play in. Look, dude, if they get matched up against Golden State or Minnesota in a play-in scenario, and like I said, man, I expect Golden yeah. State to get a little better. Teams with a short bench in a play-in scenario, man, I worry about them. I mean, Utah could catch a team lacking. I will say. Yeah, they are at a deficit compared to compared to those eight other teams out west. I probably would take them. But I think they're playing for sure. I wouldn't even say that they're a lock there. I mean, at the end of the day, the Kings are looking better, and the T-Wolves have been a disaster, but there's just a basketball talent gap. And the Warriors, I just, as upset and disappointed as I've been with aspects of their play this year and their roster, I have to believe that they're going to make the necessary moves to improve at least a bit, and they're not going to get beat by the fucking Utah Jazz. I mean, let's be honest here. <laughs> that is not going to happen. But I will say this team is fun, and I was completely wrong about them on a couple fronts, primarily just involving the mentality with which they would approach the game because I also looked at this and said, hey, in a vacuum, there's a decent amount of talent here. But I thought it's primarily guys from the perimeter who are inclined to go out there and try to get their own. Jordan Clarkson, Malik Beasley, Colin Sexton, and there is not a lick of defensive talent here outside of Jared Vanderbilt. And there is not a lick of an incentive to play defense here because I thought these guys are all going in different directions. What the hell do they care about the Utah Jazz? This team was thrown together. And clearly I was wrong about that. They are committed to playing both ends. I do think their defense will regress because their personnel is still not good, but they play hard there. And offensively, it's beautiful. It's like you said. I mean, it's spread out basketball. The shooting is sensational. I think that Conley is very much thriving right now in that clearly last year he took a big step back in his ability as a scorer. I think just with his aging, with uh, loss of burst and whatnot, but right now his job is basically, hey, take pull-up threes. So I'm not relying on, again, trying to create that more advanced lead option stuff for myself and then facilitate this offense and find the shooters and find guys in their spots. And he's done phenomenally well at that. I do think that the Laurie Markkinen revelation is pretty real, though. I mean, is he going to continue to put up 22 a game on 63% true shooting? I don't know. But he has done it without shooting the ball exceptionally well from deep. I mean, he has just shown different elements to his bag. The ability to attack people as a pull-up jump shooter, to put the ball on the floor, to get downhill. It's like I've talked about way too many times on this podcast, but his first game in the 2019-20 season when he had 34 against the Hornets and he was getting downhill. He didn't even shoot that well in that game. He was getting to the bucket. I thought, that's a scary Laurie Markkinen. It's like we've seen that guy pop back up again and he's damn good. And to me right now, he would be my pick for most improved player. Shea is the favorite right now, and Shea looks incredible. I made a whole TikTok about how great Shea has looked. But, man, Markkinen looks like a different player. So, Over Halliburton, Yeah, too. I think so, because I see more legitimate improvement with Markkinen, which is shocking because of how much older he is. With Halliburton, I yeah. see more opportunity. With Shea, I do see legitimate improvement. But I also don't think Shea's quite going to keep scoring 30 a game, although he could score like 28. Yeah, I think he's going to have a monster, monster season. 
But I'm in on Laurie, dude. I mean, I think he can attack a lot of people in a lot of different ways. He's an all-around mismatch. He moves out the ball. He runs off screens. And then once you're there, he can knock it down in your face or he can attack you off the bounce. Dude's pretty darn good. He's rebounding well. All in all, though, I still think as good as the shooting is, that's not going to be enough to carry them to be a top five offense. Like, I'm sorry, I just don't see that being sustained without a true leading star offensively. And then defensively, I think they're going to take a pretty decent step back. They are fun. I do think they're going to compete and win in the 30s and you know maybe get close to 500. I don't think they're an actual playoff team, though. I was still wrong about them. I completely undersold them. But I do think that regression is coming here. But shout out to Will Hardy and shout out for all these guys for playing well, playing together, maximizing their skill sets. It's been fun and it's been really pretty basketball and I've been impressed. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm my official take. I think it's a play in team. I think that I think you're right on both ends. I think they regress a little bit. I, I don't know, Carson. We are just like the Jazz are so deep to the point. You don't think like one injury to a star player opens the door for them. I think one, oh, Kawhi doesn't feel so hot. Kawhi is not going to come back or, you know, something. I don't know. I think we're like one kind of big injury away from the Jazz's door being open to a playoff run or a play-in spot or something along those lines. I don't want to, you know, wish that on anybody, but I think I believe in the Jazz. I think I believe in the Jazz a little more than you, bro. I think a lot would have to go right, but they've been impressive. They've been fun. Let's flip it to the disaster of the Northwest, and that is the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are sitting at 6-8 and eight and seem every day to have some sort of turmoil. If it's Anthony Edwards saying that the paint is too crowded and that's why he can't get all the way downhill, if it's Cat commenting on Ant's diet, if it is Ant passing the ball to Cat when he jogs out of bounds, which happened just a couple days ago, all of that is just some nice little cherry on top to the fact that they're also losing a lot of games. So what have you thought about Minnesota so far? So yeah, I mean, that's why we have the, the weirdness, the drama here in Minnesota, because the time-old tradition, the time-old phrase, winning fixes everything. Um, yeah, I mean, they're frustrated. They're mad. You should be mad. Like, the reason that we are seeing all this turmoil is because the fucking pressure is on. The GM put their chips into the fucking table and said, this is it. This is our team. This is our core. This is who we're rocking with for the next five years. And, uh, yeah, I think this is the dumbest trade maybe in NBA history. This <laughs> might, we, we may very well, and I should have said this in the moment. Like, me and you, we talked about how we thought it could be disastrous, and we're seeing it all play out. It's, I was hopeful, right? Because in theory, again, oh, well, one of the best offensive bigs, one of the best defensive bigs. Well, yeah, it's hard to play against them. So there's a lot of issues here in Minnesota. Let's see if we can break it down. I think the biggest change from last year, um, we'll start on the defensive end. I think this team lost a lot of heart. You lost depth and you lost perimeter defense. And I think the losses of Patrick Beverly and Jared Vanderbilt um, are, are massive. So, so one in the perimeter defense field, um, in the heart, the energy that these guys gave you, like... I came away, that's why the Gobert trade was so confusing, is because I felt like everybody came away from the Memphis Grizzlies series like, damn, man, they really played good defense on Ja, like, um, they played really hard, they rebounded the ball well, and I felt like 
everybody's inclination coming away from that series was not, oh, Minnesota needs more defense. We don't need another big man. I felt like everybody's takeaway was, you know, they need another guard. That's why the Donovan Mitchell trade meant, you know, made sense. Like, you chose the wrong guy in Utah. That's what everybody's saying now. It's true. So, you lose major, major components of your perimeter defense. It's why the defense has regressed like this. You lose Jared Vanderbilt, who Carson is the perfect, quite literally, is the perfect foreman alongside a guy like Carl Anthony Towns. Like, you need some guy on the court to anchor the boards with whatever unit that you're running, especially with an unathletic big like Cat. And I'm not saying he's unathletic, but compared to other centers who are going to anchor the class, you need an athletic four guy who's going to do that. Vanderbilt did that perfect. Pat Bev on the perimeter defense. This team is 30th in opponent three-pointers made and three-pointers attempted. That's not what should happen. It should be a team that is hard on that end and is funneling guys into Rudy Gobert so they don't know how to play around Rudy. They are 26th in total rebounding per game. They are 30th in offensive rebounding per game. They are 30th in opponent's third quarter scoring per game. They come out of the half and they get fucking shit on. Excessive fouling. Gobert and Towns stay in foul trouble. Gobert has as many screen fouls this season as last year. They're 24th in turnovers. Like, there's a lot of issues, bruh. D'Angelo and Carl Anthony Towns are kind of passive sometimes. We haven't seen this uh, leap from Anthony Edwards. D'Angelo Russell has really struggled. He looked good in that game against Cleveland. I'll give him that. Um, But, I mean, to sum this up, like, they picked the wrong guy in Utah. They gave up some very important assets to Utah. And... We are seeing this issue, Carson, when stars are made available in the modern NBA. They accelerated their timeline in the worst way possible. You are paying a guy who is not worth $45 million, $45 million. You have eaten up your cap. You have given up five first-round picks. You have gone all in on this court because you expected Anthony Edwards to take this leap. And it's like, there was no point, Carson. There was no point in staking your future in a guy that did not fit your timeline, that is older than all of your stars, that is not going to develop with all of your stars, that hinders your best offensive player at what he does best. The advantage of Carl Anthony Towns as a five, if you put a big slow guy on him, he will drive to the basket. If you throw a double at him, Carl Anthony Towns will find the open guy. If you put a fucking small guy on him, Carl Anthony Towns will just shoot over him. And now by putting Gobert down at that five spot, I'm not putting all of this on Gobert. Gobert has been good. This is a good defense when Gobert is on the floor. Like, I put more of this on the perimeter defense, on D'Lo, on other things than Gobert, but it still inhibits Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards on the offensive end. This was the perfect offensive pairing. This unit last year without any changes with Pat Bev, with McDaniels, with Vanderbilt, was one of the best five-man lineups in all of basketball. So you have moved backwards offensively, and you have taken a marginal step forward offensively. Um, The puzzle pieces do not fit here in Minnesota. I think this is a disaster. I think this is one of the worst trades in basketball history. Um, I think this gets marginally better as the season goes along. But if it doesn't, uh, I can see a world in which Chris Finch gets fired. They end this experiment. Um and they move on to a different coach or something. Because, I mean, they're locked into this core, right? The only guy that I can maybe see getting moved is D'Angelo Russell. You're not going to move off of a guy you traded five first-round picks for. So, uh, yeah, Minnesota sold the farm for the wrong guy. And uh, the biggest issue is how much more difficult they made it for their stars to get buckets on the offensive end. And uh, I can't forgive them for that. So I don't know what the answer is in Minnesota. All I know is that they have royally fucked themselves and fucked their timeline for Rudy Gobert. They definitely messed up on multiple fronts here. 
I think that already we can say that the Gobert trade was a mistake because it did not elevate this team to a championship ceiling. And it's not good when you're 14 games into a mega trade and it looks pretty bad and you gave up the assets that they did. But I do feel like we can say that because they don't have the maneuverability with the pieces around these guys. And I agree, there's a fundamental misfit offensively and then defensively, there's also just a an ill fit here. And I think we could have anticipated that, but I think it's worse than we expected. They also messed up, I think, in giving up Pat Bev and Jared Vandermilt because not only were they this team's two best individual defenders, they were its two biggest dogs, and they were kind of like the heart and soul, which is something that this team desperately needs right now. And its bench still has some of that, that competitiveness. Those guys are playing hard and playing pretty well. But you look at the stars here, and it's just so much underperformance. Ant is just not doing what he needs to do. And I think that fundamentally it comes down to kind of an inconsistency of aggression with him. And part of that may be early season playing his way into top shape. But I just look at some of the games from him, and when he's doing with Jaw a couple games ago, I thought, man, this is going to be one of the great joys of the NBA to watch these two guys go at it for the next 10 years. Two legitimately unstoppable athletes and even if he's not always perfect finishing can get to the rim when he wants with his quickness and then he is powerful when he gets there and when he also knocks in three or four pull-up threes it's like oh goodness how do you stop this guy you can't and he waltzes into an uber efficient 28 in a game like that but even still there it felt like he was picking his spots and overall this year I mean he's under 20 in four of their last five games that was the only exception like, I'm sorry, Ant, you just need to put your imprint on the game more consistently. Like, he needs to take a leap in terms of aggression. I would like to see him shoot a little bit more consistently overall this year. Cat, I don't think, has been aggressive enough, and I agree with you on some of the issues with the Gobert fit there in terms of what that presents for how he can attack. And he has certainly oriented himself towards playmaking and obviously is a great passing big, but it's just like those are two guys with offensive superstar potentials and they are combining to score 42 points a game, that just doesn't feel like enough out of them. And I still think D'Lo, even though he's scaled his assertiveness as a scorer back a little bit, is too present here. They have too much invested in him. He's just not efficient. They just don't need him. And, uh, I mean, there you go. You have the fit issues with Gobert on top of all that. So I do think things will get better I hope because I would think okay Ant can start being more aggressive more consistent Cat can start doing the same but then again it's like if these guys hate each other then I don't know how that happens so we may be reaching a boiling point here we may be reaching an Ant Cat breakup I don't think that that's at all out of the question maybe not this year but very possibly next year if things continue on this trajectory because this looks bad and uh, it certainly helps if you can unite and try to accommodate each other and try to figure out a way to make a situation work, but it doesn't seem like the guys here even want to do that, and that's pretty disastrous. Yeah, I it really is concerning that it's this tumultuous um, already, man. I'd, winning, they have to win. Like, it has to happen on the court. I mean, that's what solves everything, bro, and if it doesn't, 
Who gets moved first? Who blinks first, bruh? Is it Finch or is it D'Lo or is it Gobert? I don't think it's Gobert. I think it's D'Lo or Finch if somebody, you know, was to get the axe. Who do you think gets moved first? I don't think they're moving Gobert. I think they will move Cat before Gobert. And I think the Cat is significantly better. But I think clearly there is a cat ant issue here. And Gobert is the dude who they invested. Don't do this. All the what person. are you talking about? What That's are what you I think, talking man. about? Who have you been talking to? That is my instinct. Is that your insider knowledge? Why would you ever <laughs> no. move cat? Look at how things have gone. And look at what they just invested in Gobert. Are they going to turn right around? And by the way... Cat is a much more movable asset because nobody is going to look at Gobert getting paid $47 million multiple years from now in 25, 26. He's still going to be making that and say, yeah, we'll take that on. I just don't think so, man. I think teams are way more likely to look at Cat, the multidimensional offensive superstar big, and be intrigued by that. And I also think it's more likely that the Timberwolves look here and they go, okay, we want the defensive foundation in Gobert, who can propel us to being quite good on that end if we give him at least competent personnel. We want the perimeter, downhill, hopefully consistent pull-up jump shooting force that is Anthony Edwards. And then you put good shooting, good two-way guys on the wings alongside them. And then guess what? Maybe that's an easier path to contention than trying to figure out the ant-cat thing for them right now. I don't know. I just feel like we are closer to a breaking point in that relationship, Gobert just got there, and they gave up a ton to get him, and part of it might be an ego play that they don't want to do that. That's fair. I would... I don't know, man. A guy like Carl Anthony Towns would always be untouchable to me. I don't know, and again, you wouldn't be able to give up Gobert because of how big the contract is. You have to make salaries match, you know, and it's just an albatross of a contract, and you wouldn't get requisite value back considering what you gave up. Mm-hmm. That would, if I was a Minnesota Timberwolves fan, I think that would that would be the final, like breaking of my soul and heart. I don't think I could watch basketball anymore. I have to say, I love Cat. I have not really loved Cat this year. I love Ant. I, I, have not I, I, I will say loved Ant this year. I will say a lot of Minnesota Timberwolves fans have. I've I have a lot of friends down here who are Minnesota Timberwolves fans, and they've talked to me and they said. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns is being way too passive. He does not shoot enough threes. He is not leaning into the thing that makes him super special. He's passing up shots to be, you know, more of a playmaker and to get everybody involved. And they want him to leave his imprint on the game more. That has been a consistent, uh, that has been a consistent point of contingency about Timberwolves basketball. I will say among fans is that Cat is not consistently scoring enough. And again, the Gobert fit is in part of that, but it is also in how he is. It is obvious that Cat wants to make himself more of a playmaker this season, and I think that also rings true. So yeah, I think you can be disappointed in them. I know a lot of Timberwolves fans are. Um, I don't know. They're wondering about you know that every season it's weird, man. Because one year with uh, who was the other coach um, that they had? Saunders. Uh-huh. When Saunders was here, that was the best three point shooting that we ever got on a Cat. Last season, we had the best rim running that we ever saw at a cat. You know, a couple years back, we saw the best, now we're seeing the best playmaking at a cat. We need to see cat put it all together, but I definitely mm-hmm. think that, especially after that playoff series last year, man, because it wasn't just bad cat games, it was abysmal disappearing at cat games. We need to see him show up consistently night to night and be that takeover scorer because he has the talent, he has the skill, and I know the fit is weird. 
Make it work. Go win some games. Get through this. Because I'm not ready to give up on Minnesota just yet. And by the way, he too consistently finds himself in foul trouble and takes himself out of games. That way he's averaging four fouls a game this year. I just think sub-15 field goal attempts per game, 21 points per game from Carl Anthony Towns. He's now 27 years old today. Happy birthday, Cat is disappointing. And Ant, I thought, was going to be all NBA level this year, and guess what? He has looked... Send him to send him to Oklahoma City, bro. Give Shea a running buddy. Cat? Yeah. Holy cow. That would actually be a joy. But I don't really think there's uh, any chance that the Thunder do that. Straight up, Usman Diang and Poku for Cat. All right. Let's talk about another team in the Northwest. Let's see if we can burn a little quicker through these other ones. The Portland Trailblazers are currently tied for the top seed in the Western Conference. How have they done that? Logan, what do you think? I'll keep this one short and sweet. I haven't watched as much Blazers basketball as I have everybody else. Um, I, I want to single out a couple of guys that I've been really impressed with. I also want to single out uh, my friend Carson Breber, who I'm currently doing a podcast right. with. Uh, Carson Breber, and I quote before the season started, uh, I think this team is better than the Portland Troy Blazers team that went to the Western Conference Finals. Immediately after that, that became a uh, hit opinion um, in basketball circles. Uh, a lot of people... Um, Kind of agree with you, Carson, and I'm kind of on that boat. I've been very impressed with what this team has done to start off the season. Especially, I'll say on the defensive end, man, I've just been really impressed with the effort that all of this team has given and how hard this team plays. I think the infusion of a guy like, uh, I think uh, I think a guy like GP2 returning to this lineup too will be even bigger. But how hard these guys are playing night to night, man. Um, uh that's one of the things that has impressed me the most. They're sixth in defensive rating right now. And then on the offensive end, um, I've been really impressed with, especially what we've gotten out of guys like Jeremy Grant, Shaden Sharp, Ant Simons. Um, and I didn't expect Damian Lillard to come back and be at this MVP level. So to Damian Lillard, I apologize. I I was wrong about you. I didn't expect this. Um, Damian Lillard is back not damn near MVP level, you know? I mean, what he is doing, I think he has to be in the conversation. Um, the guy I've been most impressed with, though, to single my take to uh, to one guy, shout out Jeremy Grant, man. Jeremy Grant is playing his role to basically goddamn near perfection right now, and I think he is the biggest difference uh, difference maker in this roster. Right, Ann Simons, Damian Lillard, so good out of the pick and roll, so good at just filling it up, going out and getting buckets for this team. I mean, watching Ann Simons, dude, there will be periods of games where – He's just scoring. He is carrying this team through. It's fun, man. He's good in isolation. Uh, Shaden Sharp, too, dude. I've been impressed with when he gets minutes. His pull-up shooting, his jump shooting in general. His fucking bounciness, man. That kid's got bounce, dude. Um, as a rim threat, too, from the corner. But Jeremy Grant, he has really simplified his role this season. And it's kind of what you laid out, Carson. You want him to attack closeouts. You want him to uh, shoot open threes. You want him to get to the rim. 25-3, and three, he's shooting 43% on catch-and-shoot attempts, 63% true shooting, and he's shooting almost 79% at the rim. And this is a guy I had big questions about. I didn't know if he could step in and be, you know, play a really big role. Mm-hmm. Grant is, he's this team's third best player, concretely. Uh, I, maybe his second best player, man. I mean, he has been tremendous. Uh, I don't know, it's between who you want and Ant Simons. Ant has so much more of a difficult job. Jeremy's much more of a role player, but... 
He gets downhill, he gets to the rack, he converts his attempts at the hoop, he catches and shoots open threes, and he makes them at a very high clip, and he's playing defense at a very high level. And uh, one of, he's one of the best 3 and D role-playing wings uh, in the league today. He's a very valuable asset. He's on a very good contract. Um, a great acquisition for Portland. They're locked in on the defensive end. Um, yeah, I'm pleasantly surprised with the Portland Trailblazers, and I've been really impressed uh, with what Jeremy Grant has given this team. They are very good, and I wish that I had picked them to win more games in the preseason because I did look at this talent and I thought, boy, consistently, the one thing we have seen hold the Trailblazers back has been deeply flawed play on the wings. If it was the offensive ineptitude of the Aminu Harkless days, guys who could defend but just could not knock down shots, could not attack closeouts effectively, then into the mellow and X other wing who they tried out with him days where the Blazers were top three offenses in back-to-back years and bottom three defenses in back-to-back years. Josh Hart and Jeremy Grant are both very good basketball players, and they are multidimensional basketball players. They are not just stand there and knock down, catch-and-shoot, three-attempt kind of guys. Jeremy Grant is big. He's a good athlete. He's comfortable handling. He gets the bucket. He can take mid-range jumpers and mismatches, and he's shooting 46% from deep. Josh Hart is a really damn good facilitator and a guy who was also aggressive attacking closeouts and then using that to facilitate for others. If he gets in the lane, he's a great positional rebounder. Both these guys are long as hell. They're plus defenders. And then when you have the foundation of Ant and Dame, who are two of the best pull-up three-point shooters in basketball, who are two of the best pick-and-roll scorers in basketball, then you got a lot of space to work with. You have offensive dynamism from the perimeter with those two. You get a lot of favorable one-on-ones for your wings, and you have a lot of shooting all around. So if those wings get into the lane, then guess what? They can kick back out to one of their star guards, or you know they can get all the way to the bucket. It's just a lot that's working here. And Shaden Sharp is a really exciting. I mean, a dynamic athlete and shooter. I think that Justice Winslow... You know, it hasn't been pretty scoring the basketball. I don't think it ever will be for him in all his days, but the playmaking, the athleticism, the defense, he's been a solid rotational wing. And so I look up and down here and I think, yeah, once you get GP2 in here, this top eight is pretty good. They are not good enough to contend. And it's a little bit strange that they really only have one playable big, but I also think that it kind of works, and we've seen them go, all right, let's have Jeremy Grant as our big out there and stretches. And in those lineups, they're athletic. They can shoot. They are, you know, again, athletic defensively. Like, it does work. It's not good enough for them to be a top-four team out west or anything when it comes to meaningful basketball. But I do think they're solidly a playoff team, and I do think that they're really quite good, and Dame has completely bounced back, and Ant is a legitimate star, I think. And like I said before the year, pretty much as good as CJ ever was. Jeremy Grant is a better third guy than they've ever had, except for maybe peak Nurk, but he looks really good right now. And then to have Nurk and Josh Hart as your fourth and fifth, it's just the the best Blazers team we've seen, I think. And shout out to them. So a really good start to the year, and I think that they will remain pretty good. Okay, let's flip to the disappointing side. The Philadelphia 76ers, Logan, are sitting still below 500, despite Joel Embiid having a historically great game a couple nights ago. You were obviously super high on them 
You had them as your top team out east, or excuse me, now they are exactly 500 at seven and seven. What have you thought about what you've seen from Philly so far? Yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of holding reservation about Philadelphia. Harden's out with a foot injury for the next month. Um, It's been disappointing, especially, I mean, the early games, man. Um, You know, the the shootout against Boston the first game really fired me up, got me excited about this season. I thought Philly was going to have one of the best offenses in basketball, and that's where they've struggled, and that's more of a pace thing, right? Um, I don't know, man. It's Philly is yet to – it's what we saw in the playoffs last year, and again, I think we're going to have to wait till Harden gets back to really see the sum of its parts. He's played nine – he's missed five games. Uh, Joel Embiid has also missed some time, so – those are components of of the Sixers not you know being as hot. Embiid has been great though in the games he's played, thirty two ten and four. It's a cohesion thing to me, Carson. Right? There's not really a flow or direction or like I hate saying that like because it just seems kind of like a basic take, but there's not a consistent flow to the offense. There just isn't. There's a this is a smorgasbord of really talented pieces that they're still trying to figure out how to get them to work together, and I don't know if that lays on. Doc Rivers' shoulders, I don't know who that lays on, but they don't get into sets. They don't get into, you know, there's there's a lack of chemistry and cohesion here, and I wonder if that's going to get better as the season goes along. Defensively, I thought we've seen some pretty good effort from this team. They're fifth in defensive rating. Um, you have an anchor down there like Joel Embiid, um, who's averaging nearly two blocks a game. Um, I think it's going to get better. Now, I don't think, I don't think, I think when we are looking at, the other top teams out east, I don't know if Philly's up there. I think Boston is head and shoulders above every other team in basketball right now. I don't think Philly's in the same fucking stratosphere. I think Philly's here. I think Boston's here. I think there's a massive gap. Um, I think there's a massive gap between them and Milwaukee. I know Milwaukee has struggled offensively. And any given night, Milwaukee can disappear offensively. But Giannis is going to bring the defense every single night. So Philly might be five or six for me out east, man. I... I'm not as concerned, like I said, man. A healthy Harden, a healthy Embiid, a healthy Maxi. when this team is at its full powers, I think they're four or five. But right now, I mean, I have them concretely behind the Bucks, the Celtics, I think, and then um, Hawks, maybe? I, I think I have them behind Cleveland, too. Um, yeah. I, maybe Atlanta. Atlanta's where I kind of draw the line. DeJuntre have looked really good to start out this season. They just have Dre, Clint Capella. Um, con- they're concretely four and falling. Um, is where I have Philly right now, though. I was waiting for you to say Cleveland. I know they've lost four straight, and we'll talk about them a little bit in a second. No, Cleveland Cleveland is a championship contender this year, I think. I agree. I think that they are scary. I also think part of this with Philly is we haven't really seen enough of them at full strength. Maxi looks really good. Shocker. Anybody could have told you that. Man's a monster. But, I mean, shooting 41% on seven threes a game, that is like the full evolution of him as a pull-up jump shooter, which I guess you would have said was kind of like the question about him because, you know, his snakiness, his quickness, his floater, that was always evident. His bag, it was just, all right, can this guy shoot 40% on pull-up threes? Yep, sure can. So that's a star player right there, and that's scary. I still think Tobias Harris is up there for the best fourth option in the league. I think it's really going to come down to what we get out of Harden because through two games we saw uber-aggressive Harden who looked pretty good athletically, who was just kind of cooking people and scoring 30-plus, and then we saw him regress to kind of what he looked like last year. And overall, he's 
still averaging under 16 attempts before he goes out with the strained foot. So he's got to be healthy. He's got to be aggressive. And he's got to play really well, like a fringe top 10 guy if this team wants to contend for the title. And I just, I don't know how confident I am in that. So I'm kind of holding out for any more decisive takes. I think that their depth has been meh. Like, I'm just not overly impressed with Philly right now. I think the top tier out East has been very impressive, and I completely agree with you. They're in a different group for me right now than Milwaukee, than Boston, and I would still say Cleveland is in a different group. I understand they've lost four straight. I still think the Cavs are so good. So let's talk about that top tier out East because I do think while we have seen so much turmoil with the expected contenders out West, the top teams in the East have really been quite good. So what stood out to you there? We can start with the best team out East. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on them because they just went to the finals, but I'll start with Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics. So uh, number one offense in basketball, number three in net rating. Um, credit to John Schumann, NBA analyst, NBA.com. Also, I'll do my references right now. Uh, I want to give a shout out to, yeah, NBA.com analyst John Schumann, cleaning the glass, the basketball reference, YouTube, StatMuse, and TeamRankings.com for our references. Uh, this is where the nerds get our info, or at least where I get my information, right? Uh, all good, All good sources. I go to a guy under a bridge named Clark. Yeah, that's where I got these numbers from specifically. <laughs> yeah, it's Clark Kellogg. The assist to turnover jump has been crazy, Carson. I attribute this directly to um, the addition of Malcolm Brogdon, the 11th best assist to turnover ratio last season to the second best this season. They're scoring 3.4 more points per possession than any other team. That is the biggest differential between first and second rank offenses in 27 seasons of play-by-play data, which basically means the Celtics are head and shoulders offensively above any other team in basketball right now. They are simply better. They are simply better. I'm sorry. Jason Tatum, 30 points in his last four games, 32.3 on 50, 39-87 splits, 65.3 true shooting percentage. All-time would only trail Stephen Curry for highest true shooting percentage in a 30-point-per-game scoring season. That also includes this season. Um, And specifically, what Tatum is doing, man. So much, he's playing so much faster, so much more fluid, so much more intuitively. There's just more effort every play, man. He's consistently locked in. If it's in transition, if it's on the glass, if it's on defense. Um, and, and yeah, the biggest thing to me offensively is just attacking downhill more. When he sees that lane opens up, he is exploding. He is getting to the cup. He is finishing better in the paint. He is just stronger. He is bigger, man. Like, he's more physically imposing. I think Jason Tatum might be the best player in the NBA outside of Stephen Curry. He might be better than Steph with what he does defensively, too. I don't know, man. Tatum might be my MVP. He's he's up there. Wow. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to say that to the MVP point. First of all, the best player in the world conversation to you does not involve Giannis or Jokic. No, Giannis and Jokic are there, but Tatum and Curry are definitely there, too, man. I mean, and then I think... I think they're at least in the MVP cut. Giannis is probably number one. If I if you made me pick a guy, I would take Giannis, and I wouldn't think very hard. But okay. Tatum is fighting, man. And he just he makes it look so easy right now. And I think I don't know. I think I think I think Tatum needed that sting of the finals loss. I think he needed to get in a matchup against Golden State where they exposed his flaws and they said, We're gonna let you shoot. Um, we're gonna make life hard on you in the paint and uh and he's better for it. And the addition of Brogdon has worked out really well. The 
There's so much shooting here. There's so much versatility. They play so fast, and the ball moves fast. Like, uh, right now, yeah, I, I would pick Boston to win the NBA Finals, and I would not think hard about it. I know the defense needs to get better. Again, right now, they're number 22 defensive rating. That has to improve uh, by playoff time, but uh, Boston has the best offense I, maybe I've ever seen outside of the Warriors. It's it's crazy, um, and I've been really impressed with the improvement from Tatum, the consistency from Jalen Brown, the plug-in from Malcolm Brogdon, and the shooting uh, of all these guys around him. Um, Boston is a show every night. They look great right now, and the Tatum jump, and it is another jump, at least it has been so far, is really impressive. Obviously, we saw him play at a phenomenal level in the second half of last year, and then in the playoff stretch, even if there was some inconsistency with his scoring, the playmaking was the highest level we'd ever seen from him. The defense was brilliant, and this year, I think he's finishing around the rim incredibly well, 73% inside of five feet. He is getting to the line nine times a game, which was always a big thing with him. Just get yourself those easy buckets, finish at the rim, get to the line, do those things that great scores have to do where you're not settling for tough mid-range stuff all the time and he's figured that out better and I think that we trust his playmaking more based on what we've seen in terms of development how quick Tatum processes the game at this level is just so impressive like when the lane opens up and the uh, help the initial help defender comes from the weak side it's not a it's not I need to jump in the air Tatum is throwing that skip pass immediately to the corner the second that guy breaks it's the way Tatum processes the game so fast is so impressive. Like, it was, like it's even better than it was in the playoffs last season. It It's mind-blowing to me how much better Tatum has gotten in all facets of his game. But even playmaking. Like, I didn't think he could get better. Mm-hmm. He's Tatum is re- reading and reacting the game at such a high fucking level right now. Like, that's why I put him in that. I don't think there's a hole in Jason Tatum's game anymore. I don't think there's a thing you can exploit when you guard Jason Tatum. If you slide and you get the in to close that lane because he's finishing at the rack now, he's throwing that pass. If you slide, they're getting that extra pass. If if you let that lane get open, if you don't slide over, he's finishing at the rack now. You know, it's I don't know. That's why I think I don't think Tatum has a single hole in his game anymore. I would just like to see it for longer because again, last twenty five games of last year, I mean it was 30-plus a game on, like, 65% true shooting, right? Ridiculous stuff. And then we saw in the playoffs, at times, against great defenses and high-pressure situations, he would slip into some of his bad habits. So I'm not here to criticize the guy. I mean, he's played pretty much flawless basketball so far this year. But I do want to see it for longer before we start throwing him into the best player in the world conversation. But, I mean, he is sensational, and I love the Brogdon pickup, always have. The defense is certainly going to round into form. We'll get much better. I think they should be the best defense in basketball. The one thing I will say is that they've been the best offense in the league so far, and I think a lot of that is because of how perimeter-oriented their talent is, how much shooting they have. They're making the most threes in the league at a 38% clip, and just the versatility that pretty much everybody out there on the floor for them has attacking in different ways. And I do think... When you bring Robert Williams back into the fold, you do lose some of that. And I am interested to see when he is out there and healthy and playing, whenever that day comes, and I don't think it's going to be that far off, 
how does that affect them offensively and how does it affect them defensively too? And that's kind of the unknown variable here, but you know, Jalen has also been great. I mean, this team is really, really good and I would have no problem with saying that they're the best team in the league. But I do think that the Bucks are also right in that same conversation. I think right now those are the only two that really make a decent argument. And defensively, this team is just completely sensational. And offensively, I mean, good Lord, we're not seeing Chris Middleton. And they're still... They started the season 8-0. Like, they're suffocating defensively. And when they get their second best player offensively, and, I mean, we still haven't seen, like, Joe Ingles in the fold here, who adds, obviously, a lot of shooting. Connaughton has been hurt, and he obviously is an important shooting piece and gives you some of that athleticism. I just think the defense is here to stay. The offense is going to get way better. It's going to be the Bucks and the Celtics. Those were probably the two teams that I was most confident in coming into this season. I would have thrown the Warriors and Clippers into the same tier, but I think genuinely that these were my top two teams, and I knew that I was going to pick whoever came out of the East to ultimately win the title. That was the biggest conversation for me, and they've played like it so far, and I don't really have a ton to add other than that. Shocking. The Bucks are great again. Yeah, Giannis is the closest thing I've ever seen to Wilt Chamberlain, and they're sweet again. Um, I, yeah, I'll give a short shout-out to Grayson Allen. I think he's played his role on this team perfectly. Uh, great pickup for them as well in that regard. Uh, the Cavs, too, are definitely up in this upper echelon of teams. Uh, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are one of the best defensive front courts I've ever seen. I cannot wait until they are fully healthy. Um, the fully healthy Cavaliers are going to be a scary championship contender, too. I think what we've seen out of Donnie, I know Donnie had, you know, a few up and down games. He's at 32 on the year and mm-hmm. six. And the beauty of this is that you're allowing Darius Garland to actually play point guard and get everybody involved. And, I mean, dude, I like the bench, too. Like, when you get Dean Wade, Chetty Osmond, Kevin Love, Karis LeVert minutes, I don't mind. Kevin Love is one of the best bench players in the league. Mm-hmm. He's still one of the best shooters. Like, to have to be able to go to two shooting bigs like that off of Allen, off of Mobley, it's dangerous. Then Chetty plays his role to perfection, man. Karis LeVert, I think, could be better. LeVert, LeVert pisses me off, man. He's at 39% in the field, 42% from deep, about 14 points a game, five assists, five boards. He needs to be more efficient. LeVert is one of, can't, could be one of the best scorers off the bench, and I think... I just think playoff time, man. You have two superstars offensively and two superstars defensively. When I say, I don't know, Carson. I think the Cleveland Cavaliers could be in the Eastern Conference Finals this year. I don't think it's off base. I think it could be Milwaukee and Cleveland or Boston and Cleveland. I think it takes an injury to one of the big guys to one of those teams for that to happen. I think Middleton or Holiday has to be out, I think. Um, I think in Boston, I think, you know, maybe if that's Brogdon, you know, for Cleveland to get over the hump to get there. But Cleveland is a legit contender, especially just, again, man, Garland can be a real point guard. Mitchell can just be focused on getting buckets. And then the thing that's really surprised me is the defensive effort that you were getting from everybody else. Donovan Mitchell did not give Mm -hmm. a fuck about defense in Utah, right? He had Gobert just funnel guys into it. He was kind of mailing it in. Everybody is playing hard here in Cleveland, night in, night out. Donovan Mitchell was heading that charge as well. And they're the number three defense and the number two offense in basketball. Um, Yeah, these are my three favorite teams uh, for sure out east. In the league for me right now. 
I was going to say, I didn't want to get ahead of myself. I might say, with all the mm-hmm. turmoil out West, maybe in the in all of basketball. For me right now, it's no question. Because, again, I mean, the Bucks don't have Middleton. Once they have him back, they're going to be just unbelievable. And we'll see what the Clippers look like with Kawhi. We'll see if the Warriors can improve their bench. I might be, I might be off... I might be off LA a little bit if I'm being honest. I don't honest. like them as much as the Cavs. I just think that Donovan Mitchell is playing at a superstar level. Man, I mean, it is just sensational pull-up jump shooting. He's getting to the rim so consistently. He's shooting 60% on floaters. And I just love watching him maneuver the paint, man. I mean, he's just got the Euros. He has the athleticism. He has the touch. He, he's he got it all. And he's been completely sensational. And the defensive front court is also completely sensational and this team has been like exactly what we would have hoped for and Garland had 50 the other night and they're number one in the league in net rating still because the last four games they've lost have all been very close and very winnable yeah man I will say Isaac Okoro is uh kind of a disaster but that doesn't really matter all that much when you have this kind of talent and when you are this good on both ends of the floor and when I like their depth overall, yeah, I don't have a ton more to add. I really like the Cavs coming into this year. I thought they were uniquely talented, especially for such a young core, historically talented for such a young core. We have seen it gel so quickly, though. And I don't really know what I would nitpick. You know, I think that Garland is just going to play better. Uh, Maybe Donnie can't quite sustain this level, but man, does he look good. And his playmaking, too. I mean, it's just the best version of Donovan Mitchell we've ever seen. Better than even, to me, like any of his freak playoff series. He looks fantastic right now. And, uh, you know, maybe I wish that Mobley were a little bit more aggressive offensively, but it's not holding them back. So, I'm all in on the Cavs. All right, last team we'll talk about here today. One more in the East. On the flip side of this, the Brooklyn Nets... Obviously, I mean, we <laughs> kind of missed the whole Kyrie saga. Um, I'll certainly Who say <laughs> good. Yeah. Uh, definitely anti anti Semitism around here. And uh, regardless, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with him when he is no longer suspended. But what have you seen out of the Nets with and without Kyrie? Fuck them. I think they're better without Kyrie. I think Kyrie is a cancer. Um, I would not bring him back to this team. Um, I wouldn't want him back. Uh, I think this team's better off without Kyrie. And uh, throughout all of this, the person that I feel most bad for is Kevin Durant. Um, I mean, to leave Steph Curry, the greatest winning culture of all time, you know, to to go play with Kyrie, to, like. It, I feel bad for KD because he came out and was just, you know, I just wanted to play basketball. I just wanted this to be about basketball. Kyrie Irving has shown us one thing over and over again, and it is that he does not want to play basketball. That that is very far from uh, very high on the priority list for Kyrie Irving. I think he likes dissension. I think he likes drama. I think he likes attention. And I think the Brooklyn Nets are better without Kyrie Irving. I'm not even disappointed with the Nets. I don't blame them for struggling this much. I I get it. Like, I get it. All this drama, all this change. Since Jock Vaughn has taken over as head coach, I've seen a different vigor in this team. I've seen a different energy. I've seen a different effort. They're fucking good on the defensive end. That Knicks game 
is one of the best games I have seen a team play in this regular season. I get it's the Knicks. The Knicks are mediocre. They are mid. They kind of suck. The Nets ran them. And since that game, I don't know. We've only seen two games since then. They beat the Clippers and then they, you know without Kawhi, and then they lost to L.A. It's going to be up and down. That Knicks game showed me what the Nets can look like. A good defensive team when they give effort. Ben Simmons played his ass off that game. He was crashing the glass. He was getting out in transition. He was getting the ball to people in transition. And he was setting people up to make shots. Kevin Durant, Seth Curry, Patty Mills knocking down shots. I don't think they need Kyrie. I think you need KD, and I think you need Ben Simmons to play his role. And I think you can be a playoff team that gets eliminated in the first round. That is the ceiling for this Nets team, sadly, because of the talent deficit. But look. You can have a league average defense. You can have a really good shooting team. Again, Joe Harris, Patty Mills, Seth Curry. You have two pretty solid perimeter defenders in Royce O'Neal, Ben Simmons, KD. Um, I've liked the Edmund Sumner minutes that we get. Look, I'm not going to make this something that it's not. The Nets are not a very good roster. They are not an overly talented roster. But with what they have, I think they have enough good shooting and enough solid role players to where they can be a competitive team this year if they play really hard. And that Knicks game, it's going to take effort night to night. I'm not going to lie to you. If the Nets mail this fucking thing in, they're going to win 30 games. And we're going to see. That's the difference. It's all going to be effort. They're either going to win 46 and they're going to be a playoff team, or they're going to win 30 because they don't give a fuck and they implode on each other and they don't play hard. If this this team... Right? It's like this what this is the opposite of the Nets identity that we thought we were gonna get with Harden and Kyrie and Katie. Mm-hmm. They were gonna mail it in every fucking game. They were gonna shoot teams to death and they were gonna score 140 points and not play defense. This cannot be the identity of this Jock Vaughn led team. This team has to play hard on that defensive end. Ben Simmons has to step up and be this team's second best player, and Kevin Durant has to play hard every night. And that Knicks game, I mm-hmm. saw it. And if we get that Nets team the rest of this season. I think the Nets are a tough out in the first round of the playoffs, and that's as far as they get. But I think they can be a fun team. They have shooting. They have perimeter defense. They have a top star in mm-hmm. Kevin Durant. Like I said, if they play hard, I think this can be a competitive team. I'm really a little bit disappointed that this is how KD is spending his 34-year-old season. Yeah, like, right? I agree <laughs> with you. I don't know if I would say they're better off without Kyrie because I don't even know what that situation would look like. Things there are broken. Things there are ugly. Things there are messed up. They certainly play harder. They play more together. They play much better on the defensive end of the floor. But I still think, I mean, they certainly have a higher ceiling with Kyrie, obviously. Who knows? I disagree. I think when, sorry, I just, when Kyrie, I just don't think their focus is on basketball. I think he is such a big distraction. I think he just, like, sucks up the energy, Mm -hmm. the attention. It's not even, uh, it's not a tangible thing that I can, like, point to and say, this is what he does. I just think that Kyrie is a detriment. And I think the only team that would be interested in taking him on right now is the Los Angeles Lakers. I agree. I suppose I was just thinking in a, purely basketball context if you could mitigate those factors a bit but we just don't know how much of that is possible but my point is that there's a clear offensive ceiling here when you only have one really high level shot creator you do have good shooting alongside him the Nets are playing hard defensively I still think it's going to be tough for them to be much better than average just because of personnel limitations on that end so KD's a top five player in the world still he's a top two scorer in the world it's him and Steph in a tier separate than everybody else in my opinion so that's gonna give you a 
potential to be respectable and to have a puncher's chance in spots if you're shooting well and defending well alongside him. But it's not enough to accomplish anything of basketball significance. And for KD, who is a top 15 player of all time, that's an unfortunate spot to be in when his prime has been freakishly long. Considering the basketball talent that exists between him and Kyrie in this roster overall, that is disappointing. But yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie. Regardless, I agree with you. I think he is a largely undesirable commodity, and the Nets' ceiling is pretty low overall. But it's been good to see them playing better basketball without Kyrie, ironically. No, I... I completely, I completely agree. I, I think it, I think it has been good to see them play basketball. Like I said, I think they're better off. I think it's, I don't know, man. It's like, uh, it's like trying to force feed, you know, something. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I have to give this guy the ball. I have to get him his touches, right? You're, you're just, it's uh, it's like the girlfriend. You don't know what you're gonna say to piss her off, right? So you do everything to cater to her needs. You don't know what's gonna tick Kyrie off, so you coddle him and. Played all this stuff. Without him, that's not a concern. You, they're playing up-tempo. I, I genuinely think the Nets are just better off without him. And uh, I, I'm excited. I, I enjoy watching the Nets play when Kyrie is not on the court. Yeah. It's a nice spin zone, but it's hard for me to overlook <laughs> the context, which is that this is what Kevin Durant's doing in this season. That, to me, is just unavoidably a bit of a bummer. But... I agree with some of the positive outlook there. All right. Well, there you have it, guys. Hopefully we caught up with most of the teams that have been standouts, both good and bad this year. If you want more Nerd Sesh content, then as always, check us out on The Talk at Nerd Sesh. That's where we're doing lots of trivia content and some takes, some analysis, some player and team breakdowns as well. So go ahead and check that all out there. You can check us out elsewhere on social media. Twitter is at nerd underscore sesh. Instagram is at nerd sesh. You guys know where to find the podcast, and you can check out Sobet at the link tree that will be in the bio of any of our social media handles. That is a subscription premium betting service where we and a ton of other sports betting influencers now give some exclusive picks, so you can go ahead, check that out, sign up if you're interested, and with that, as always, enjoy a little basketball, everybody. I have been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sash. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.